0: Welcome to the Best of the Left Podcast, with clips today from The Majority Report, Counterspin, Ring of Fire, The Young Turks, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and the White Knight of Cable News, Keith Olbermann.
1: Mom! 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 Why did you do that to me?!
2: No, 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 this is not uh, this was not me uh, on Mother's Day. No, uh, folks, that was uh, a guy named Richard Cohen. and uh, if you remember back, I don't know, was this a week ago, uh, Justin, It must have been about a week ago, yeah. right? Uh, CNN ru- uh, ran this six or seven minute piece on reparative therapy. It is the <laughs> the ex-gay gay movement, or the ex-gay movement. Which turns out to be more, uh, more like an XX gay movement for most of these people. Uh, I've mentioned that, uh, we, uh, cover, uh, groups like this Exodus, uh, of one of them in, uh, Fubar, America's right-wing nightmare on sale right now. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, and, and there's more come out about this guy. Uh, and, and the whole piece was just, it, it was disgusting. I mean, it's just another example of the media with their, so-called objectivity, refusing to insert any common sense or any known facts into a piece. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine any type of report on reparative therapy uh, that wasn't done by, like, a consumer fraud uh, reporter. But they present material like, well, the uh, the fundamentalists say that... um, the world is flat. And, of course, there are other people who say the world is round. You decide, folks. The fundamentalists to say that uh, babies are uh, delivered by storks. Other people say that they're born out of the womb of a woman. You decide. You sound like an NPR host. No kidding. <laughs> no kidding. Well, uh, via crooksandliars.com, which, incidentally... <laughs> Always has the best video audio clips of the day, the week, uh, whenever it is, our buddy John Amato over there. Uh, he's got a post up from the Washington Post, apparently did a, a piece on this guy, Richard Cohen, and his of therapy. Uh, it turns out this guy has been married for nearly 23 years to a woman. Uh, because he's got his issues out. I guess, you know, he had problems with his mom or something with his dad, and that's why he felt like he was gay. But he went through his therapy of mom! hitting the mom! tennis racket on a, a couch.
1: Why did you do that to me?
2: And um, that seems to be going well. Uh, his reparative therapy has supposedly cured him of the disease of being gay. I mean, just to give you a notion of how they perceive this. So the man has been married for 23 years, according to the Washington Post. It was an arranged marriage that he said was suggested by the Reverend Sun Young Moon <laughs> when he and his wife were members of the Unification Church, which they belonged to for 20 years. Wait a minute, Reverend Sun Young Moon. Reverend Sun Young Moon. Now, if you don't know who he is, <laughs> oh, that... Now, the issue isn't that he sounds a little crazy. Although he does sound a little crazy. He does sound a little crazy. The issue is that he's crazy. (laughs) Uh, This guy has uh, either hoodwinked or, you know, gives enough money to some of these uh, congressmen that he was anointed the next messiah in a congressional office about uh, three years ago, I think it was. He was crowned, I believe. Crowned, anointed. I mean, let's not split hairs here. Because I'm not exactly sure how it happens. Uh, This guy owns the Washington Times. He um, is uh, violently anti-gay. And uh, he's a real lunatic who is a big funder of uh, the right-wing conservative movement. And in return, they obviously they relax media controls and they allow him to buy things and they overlook certain discrepancies about his business practices, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but this comes up. Now, remember, this guy is a uh, reparative th- therapist, I guess. He is not licensed as a therapist, he explained. So apparently he's not a licensed reparative therapist. And there's a good reason for this in the general generic sense. One is that it's not a licensed profession. The other one is because he, quote, didn't want to jump through the hoops and deal with the heterophobia an anti-ex-gay attitudes, <laughs> the heterophobia, folks. He circumvents the licensing requirement by asking for donations to his foundation. I'm not doing therapy per se, he said. Mom!
1: Mom! Mom! Why did you do that to me?
2: I'm coaching, he added. In 2002, Cohen was permanently expelled from the American Counseling Association for multiple ethical violations. I'm sure he was just set up by the heterophobic cabal. Permanent expulsion is a rarely used sanction, according to David Kaplan, chief professional officer of the Alexandria-based organization. David Kaplan sounds like a Jewish heterophobist. Kaplan said Cohen was found to have violated six sections of the ACA's ethics code, which bars members from actions that, quote, seek to meet their personal needs at the expense of clients. Mom! 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 Why did you do that to me? Now, I I don't know the details, but maybe it just means that he stole somebody's tennis racket. Now, if this is reparative therapy, getting uh, gay people to pretend to be straight... Right. The opposite, where, you know, closeted gay people should just be who they are. Yes, live their lives, accept the, uh, accept themselves, feel good about themselves as human beings, uh, be productive members of society who, who feel that they have self-worth. Right. Yes. You know what that's called? Therapy. Right. There you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> apparently, uh, it says, um, which bars members from actions that seek to meet their personal needs at the expense of clients – Those that exploit, quote, the trust and dependency of clients and for soliciting testimonials or promoting products in a deceptive manner. Hmm. You know, it's weird that uh, CNN went through their entire six-minute piece on it never brought up the fact that he is a con man. Or that, excuse me, I want to be objective here and fair and balanced. That the governing body that licenses therapists in this country felt that he was a con man. So much so that they had to take the very rare step of expelling him from the professional association. Unbelievable. There you have it, folks. Uh, there's your uh, corporate media. When I wake up, well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who makes
3: up next to you. I go out, yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who goes along with you. If I get drunk, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who gets drunk next to you. And if I heave yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who's heavering to you. But...
0: Abraham Lincoln did not shoot John Wilkes Booth. Titanic did not sink a North Atlantic iceberg. And Fox News is neither fair nor balanced. These are simple historical facts intelligible to all adults, most children, and some of your more discerning domesticated animals. But not, as the third story on the countdown proves yet again, not to billow.
4: Countdown presents Fact or Fiction, wherein we catch that bastard Bill O'Reilly lying
0: again. Oh wait, Bill, hold still. Allow me to soil myself on you. Victory is mine! The guilty pleasure offered by the existence of Bill O'Reilly is simple and understandable. 99 times out of 100 when we belly up to the Billow bar of bluster. Nearly every time we partake of the movable falafel feast, he serves us nothing but comedy farce, slapstick, unconscious self-mutilation, the sideshow bob of commentators forever stepping on the same rake, forever muttering the same grunt of inarticulate surrender, forever resuming the circle that will take him back to the same rake. The Sisyphus of morons, if you will. But this is the 100th time out of 100. It is not funny at all. Bill O'Reilly has, for the second time in just under eight months, slandered at least 84 dead American servicemen. He has turned them again from victims of the kind of atrocity our country has always fought against into perpetrators of that kind of atrocity. He has made these Americans into war criminals. They are dead and have been dead for 61 years. They cannot defend themselves against O'Reilly. We will have to do it for them. Last October, Bill O'Reilly railed against a ruling that more photos from the infamous Abu Hirab prison in Iraq might be released. His guest on his program was Wesley Clark. Clark is a retired four-star general. Was for four years supreme Allied commander of NATO in Europe. First in his class at West Point. Wounded in Vietnam. Earned the Bronze Star, the Silver Star, and has streets named for him in Alabama and in Kosovo. Therefore, naturally, O'Reilly knows much more about the military than General Clark does. Clark defended the release of the additional Abu Ghraib pre- uh, photos, saying we needed to know what happened and to correct it. O'Reilly lectured him and concluded that there had always been atrocities, even by Americans, in war.
1: General, General you need to look at the Malmedy Massacre in World War
5: II in the 82nd era. Did it. Did it.
0: it was a remarkable mistake. The Belgian town of Malmedy did lend its name to one of the most appalling battlefield war crimes of the 20th century. But O'Reilly's implication that the Americans committed it was entirely backwards. Americans, most of them members of Battery B of the 285th Field Artillery Observation Battalion, surrendered to German panzer troops and were then shot by their captors from the SS. Yet O'Reilly had implied that the Americans had massacred these Germans in this one stark moment of the Battle of the Bulge. And he used this Alice through the Looking Glass view of history to somehow rationalize Abu Hirab, while trying to dress down a four-star American general. Still it could have been a mistake. We make them, even historians do. O'Reilly had not explicitly called the Americans the war criminals of Malmadi. Our troops, too, were accused of crimes against prisoners in the Second World War. It was assumed last year he had simply made a foolish error, and though he got beaten up appropriately in some places, it was all largely dismissed as merely that, a mistake. Then came this Tuesday night. Again O'Reilly's guest was General Wes Clark. This time the topic was the apparent murder of Iraqi civilians at Haditha. That O'Reilly was dismissive of that event should be no surprise. That he should have described as the real crime of Iraq, the events of Abu Ghraib, should be no surprise to those who know of his willingness to jettison his most important beliefs of yesterday for the expediencies and the ratings of today. But that he should have brought up Malmedy again, that was a surprise. In Malmedy, as you know,
5: U.S. forces captured SS forces who had their hands in the air, and they were unarmed, and they shot them down. You know that. That's on the record, been documented.
0: Thus was the full depth of Bill O'Reilly's insult to the American dead of World War II made clear. The mistake of last October was not some innocent slip nor misremembered history. This was the way O'Reilly understood it, and thus this way it had to be. No errors corrected, no apologies offered, no stopping the relentless tide of bull, even briefly enough to check one fact. The facts of Malmady are terrifying as described by Michael Reynolds in his painstakingly detailed article from a 2003 issue of World War II magazine. One week before Christmas 1944, 139 US soldiers, most of them from the 285th field artillery, encountered the German Kampfgruppe Piper, the leading formation of the German 1st SS Panzer Division, one of only two German units in the entire war, which actually carried Adolf Hitler's name. The Americans were overrun. 11 of the 139 soldiers were killed in the very short battle of Malmedy. Two more were killed as they tried to flee. Seven escaped. Six became prisoners of war. The other 113 Americans, nearly all of whom had surrendered outright, were ordered to assemble in an open field next to a restaurant, the Café Bodarway. What happened next has been attributed to many things. A cold-blooded decision by that panzer unit commander, Colonel Jochum Piper, that he could not handle the prisoners, or an unjustifiable overreaction to some kind of escape attempt, or simply horrible mass murder. Within 15 minutes, the SS colonel, or someone directly under him, had ordered his men to shoot the unarmed American POWs. The bodies at Malmedy were not found until a month later. There were 84 of them, all American soldiers. More than half showed gunshot wounds to their heads. Six had received fatal blows to the head. Nine were found with their arms still raised above their heads. The fact that O'Reilly got these horrible facts completely backwards, twice, offended even his usually compliant viewers from his program Wednesday night. Don Caldwell, Fort
5: Worth, Texas. Bill, you mentioned malady as the site of an American massacre during World War II was the other way around the SS shot down U.S. prisoners. In the heat of the debate with General Clark, my statement wasn't clear enough, Mr. Caldwell. After Malmedy, some German captives were executed by American troops.
0: Wrong answer. When you are that wrong, when you are defending Nazi war criminals and pinning their crimes on Americans and you get caught doing so twice, you're supposed to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and then you're supposed to shut up for a long time. Instead, Fox washed its transcript of O'Reilly's remarks Tuesday. Its website claims O'Reilly said in Normandy, when, as you heard, in fact, he said in Malmedy. The rewriting of past reporting worthy of George Orwell has now carried over into such online transcription services as Burrell's and Factiva. Whatever did or did not happen later in supposed or actual retribution, the victims at Malmedy were Americans, gunned down while surrendering by Nazis in 1944, and again Tuesday night and Wednesday night, by a false patriot who would rather be loud than right. In Malmedy, as you know, Bill O'Reilly said on the air Tuesday night in some indecipherable attempt to defend the events of Haditha, U.S. forces captured SS forces who had their hands in the air and were unarmed, and they shot them dead. You know that. That's on the record and documented. The victims at Mamadi in December 1944 were Americans. Americans with their hands in the air. Americans who were unarmed. That's on the record and documented. And their memory deserves better than Bill O'Reilly. We all did.
6: And finally, for those who aren't actually part of the elite media, sometimes it's hard to get insight into how big-time reporters really think. One way to gauge the media's conventional wisdom is by reading The Note, an online journal of the political unit of ABC News. On May 25th, The Note was offering its usual political gossip, this time about the Democrats' chances in the midterm elections. ABC wrote that the Democrats, quote, will be in their hearts for higher taxes, universal health care, a heightened emphasis on civil liberties and a dramatic and swift reduction of troops from Iraq," close quote. And what's the point of all that? Well, the note tells us, quote, the Democrats just have to hope that the American people don't find out until February, close quote. Okay, so the Democrats are holding on to a surplus of wacky, unpopular ideas. It's not so surprising to learn that reporters think that. The value of things like the note is that we get to hear them say so. But are those ideas something Democrats really need to hide from voters? Well, no, they're actually pretty popular. If ABC's only polling is any indication. Democrats hold a clear advantage on handling Iraq, the public wants fewer U.S. troops in that country, and the public favors universal health coverage. Now, this is not to say that a Democratic majority in Congress would do these things. That's unlikely. But if they did, chances are people would like it. Reporters, on the other hand, well, we know how they feel already.
7: I love this. Uh, Zan and, Coulter appearing on the Today Show today um, uh, with uh, Matt Lahr, the host of the Today Show. All right, here we go. On the 9-11 window, widows, and in particular a group that had
5: been outspoken and critical of the administration, these self-obsessed women seemed genuinely unaware that 9-11 was an attack on our nation and acted as if the terrorist attack only happened to them. They believe the entire country was required to marinate in their exquisite personal agony. Apparently, denouncing Bush was an important part of their closure process. And this part is is the part I really need to talk to you about. These broads are millionaires, lionized on TV and in articles about them, reveling in their status as celebrities and stalked by grief arazzies. I've never seen people enjoying their husband's death so much. Yes. Because they dare to speak out?
8: To speak out using the fact that they're widows. This is the left's doctrine of infallibility. If they have a point to make about the nine eleven Commission, about how to fight the war on terrorism, how about sending in somebody we're allowed to respond to? No, no, no. We always have to respond to someone who just had a family member die. The because then if the we respond, oh you're questioning their authenticity. No, so the grieve, story but is quietly. No, the story is an attack on the nation. And by the that way, that requires a foreign policy response. That does way, not entail they also the expertise the Clinton administration to not, failures. Leading no, up to not, not the ones I'm talking about. No, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 But no, no, is no. your message to them? No, 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 just They were grieving. cutting commercials for Kerry. They were using their grief in order to make a political so point while preventing anyone from if responding. If you
5: lose a husband, you no longer have the, the right to have a political point of view?
8: No, but don't use the fact that you lost a husband as the basis for your being able to talk about it while preventing people from responding. <laughs> Let Matt Lauer make the point. Let Bill Clinton make the point. Don't put up someone I'm not allowed to respond to without questioning the authenticity well, but of it. Apparently, you are allowed and to respond to them. Well, yeah,
5: I <laughs> did. Right. So, in other words, but th- that is the they, point and they, and of they...
8: liberal infallibility of putting up Cindy Sheehan of putting out. These widows of putting out the yeah, Joe Wilson. One. No, no, no. You can't respond. It's their doctrine of infallibility. Well, what I'm saying Have is they, somebody else make the argument. I'm then. saying
5: is I don't think they've ever told you you can't respond. So why can't they? Look, make you're getting point?
8: testy with no, me. No, I'm just. I think, oh. a, I think it's a. I think
5: it's think it's a dramatic, <laughs> dramatic statement. These broads, you know, are, are millionaires yeah, stalked think by I great to to I've them. never seen
1: people enjoying their husband's death
5: uh-huh. so much.
8: They're, yes, they're all over the news.
7: So are you. Uh, okay. It, she's grotesque okay now, I, I got let me go first if i may no I let one. me go first uh she uh she the left doctrine of infallibility she made up, she <laughs> that, made up. That.
9: that's her new go-to phrase where did
7: i leave that thin air i gotta get something out of it. so she but then what i like best is you're not allowed to respond to them because they they're they're cloaked in the in the the nine eleven, she's written a book. He was reading from her book in yeah, case she couldn't figure that out. Uh, uh, the, 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 they sort of cloak themselves in the despair of their personal tragedy, and it therefore prevents a response. This is a woman who wrote a book called "Treason" that accused liberals and Democrats of treason against the United States for speaking out against the president. I, I I'm not sure you could do better on irony, than that 40 seconds with Ann Coulter, followed by the knowledge that her book, Treason, Liberal Treachery from the Cold War to the War on Terrorism, where she, again, accused everyone who commi- who was disloyal to the President of the United States as committing treason.
9: Beyond that, I mean, the whole point of the interview, she got pissed off at him for responding to her statement.
1: Not. Uh, the, the interview, I've never seen an interview more bathed in irony. Yeah, I mean, okay. Jesus. Okay, and hypocrisy. So let's start. At the, Jill makes a great point. Ben makes a great point. Let's take it one at a time. Number one, let's start with Ben's, okay? She says, uh, uh, you know, they want to prevent a response. Yeah. First of all, they don't want to prevent a response. They are who they are. It's not like they thought... Oh, okay, great. I'll have my husband die so that I can make a really clever point about the upcoming elections. Are you sure? Okay. They are who they are. So I guess if Ann Coulter has her way, they wouldn't be allowed to speak because just by the very nature of their speech... And culture objects right. that they're preventing her from a response.
9: The next then, volume in her book will be declaring that these women actually went and set up the IEDs over in Iraq to kill their husbands so they could come back and make these statements without being responded to. Well, uh, keep on, she's,
7: she's, not, she's not talking about them, Jill. She, of course, am I wrong? She, you no, know, she's talking about the 9-11. She's talking people. about the women who lost husbands because they were in the World Trade Center right? when the frickin' planes oh, flew. And I'm, I mean,
9: I'm sorry, guys, because well, no, no, the only name that she had to throw out that I guess is pissed her off enough is Sinishan, Sinishan. Sinishan. No, no, right. who is a mother that lost a son and all of a sudden then got political right she didn't have have an example of any wives whose husbands died in 9-11 yeah
1: uh, then Matt Lauer makes a good point well how are they preventing a response if you've written a book you, which is a response you and just, you've said it uh, you know he didn't say this but he should have and you have said some vile loathsome things in response right so how are they preventing a response so, uh, then third of all uh, the great irony that Ben pointed out here Look, these are the guys who wrap themselves in the flag. Guys, and when I say guys, I mean literally guys, referring to Ann Coulter. Wrap, wrap themselves in the flag and say, if you dare criticize the president, who is the commander in chief of the United States of America, you are treasonous and you do not support the troops. Now, when Cindy Sheehan says, well, one of the troops was my son," and my opinion is this, Ann Coulter says, "Oh." I guess we can't respond to you. I guess you're trying to prevent a response. And calling people treasonous, that doesn't prevent a response? Saying that if they uh, don't agree with you politically, that they are against the troops, that doesn't prevent a response? Women...
7: If Ann Coulter wants to disagree with the 9-11 widows, she can do it. She does not get to say, I've never seen women... I mean, she doesn't get to say without people calling her crazy. She gets to say whatever she wants. But you're going to get called crazy when you say uh, what she said, that she's never seen women take such... What was the phrasingology there? Uh, Such joy. joy. Such joy, such pleasure in their husband's death.
1: Okay, now, point number two, which is the one Jill brought up, um, which is she's talking over Lauer. That's their one of their main tricks, okay? That's why I don't allow it, you know, when if they come on this show, that's why Dick Morris walked out on us. Uh, that's why sometimes we get into shouting matches, etc. And if I go on one of these shows, nobody's talking over me, okay? Why? Not because, oh, oh I'm jank, no one talks over me. No, because it's a standard political trick that they have. They keep talking over you, keep talking over you, so that... Y- Literally, they don't allow you to respond.
7: And they figure if they can That's talk. That's part of Jenks' doctrine of infallibility. Right. If they, can, they can talk.
4: They not allow really
9: you respond by using big words. I mean, half the sentences you said didn't make any sense. There was just a she's... lot of like politi- and politicizing infallibility, responsibility, and sympathy. You're like, I, I, that sentence didn't make any sense, but yet, of course, when Matt Lara had to take a breath from you screaming <laughs> right. over it, it sounded like you were saying something important. Right, right, right.
1: Uh, and that's what they do. They try to confuse you as well. So, uh, you know, the, their idea is if I can keep yelling, I'm going to get 70 to 80% of the talking time, and my opponent is going to get... You know, 10, 20, 30 percent of the time, whatever they're left to, the crumbs they are left on the table. And I'm going to win by sheer mass because people are going to hear me more than they hear them. And, now, and
7: they're right. And I will say stuff so outrageous that you will spend your limited time responding to the crazy stuff. I say we're having the conversation on my terms.
1: Exactly right. And so uh, and then and then after they've yelled at you. After they've yelled at you for all this time, when Matt Lauer asked a very polite question in response, she says to me, are you getting testy with me? Are you getting testy with me? Bitch, haven't you been listening to yourself for the last five minutes yelling at me? Are you getting testy with me? So Matt Lauer. Lauer
9: couldn't have been calmer the entire interview. I mean, he could have made such a fool out of her in that moment. But yet, I mean, he he was like easygoing because he knew she was going to actually make the fool of herself just by opening her big fat mouth.
7: Young Turks uh, uh, guest, uh, frequent guest, uh, Peter Dow. Um, uh, wrote today that sort of Lauer. He thinks that Lauer did a bad job, and he thinks that uh, I'm very sympathetic to the situation that Matt Lauer was in. But, uh, but I also get what 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 Peter was writing. That that in a sense he had two possibilities he, that he needed to say there are two possibilities here. Either you believe what you've written, in which case, well, it's simply outrageous, and you're a kooky person, right? Or you don't believe it, it's so outrageous you can't possibly believe it, and you're just saying it to sort of be sensational and get attention, in which case you don't have any right to be a hundred miles, within a hundred miles of this network.
6: Climbing up on Salisbury Hill
4: I could see the city light
3: What do you think America's indolent mainstream media would have done if Bill Clinton had been caught leaking documents that both compromised international CIA operations and compromised the very lives of CIA agents? Do you think the whole story would have completely disappeared in less than two weeks? Well what about this, what if Al Gore had handwritten notes all over a news story that showed that Al, as Vice President, had actually helped Clinton engineer that leak that's only a few steps less than treason? And what if we found that Al Gore's chief of staff, under fear of perjury, had to all but admit that Clinton and Gore specifically told him to engineer the leak through old reliable political hacks posing as news reporters? If all that had been going on during the Clinton years, do you think mainstream media would have been leading the evening news with stories about rape at Duke University or Barry Bond's steroid use? Hell no. The hatchet job that would have been done on Clinton and Gore would have made Clinton's sexual cigar escapade look like a 10-second soundbite news. You've probably figured out what's up with mainstream media these days, but just in case you haven't, let me shed a little light on the topic conglomerate media still has a hope that before this new very short-lived Republican dark age is only memorialized in pages of high school history books, before that rapidly approaching inevitable day occurs, there's a hope by corporate media that they can squeeze out one more huge favor from this lame duck president and his lame Republican Congress. You see, they want their Republican buddies to create legislation that expands their ability to monopolize conglomerate media like a General Electric run by NBC or a Fox News run by Murdoch. They want to come to your town and not only own your local TV stations, they want to own your local radio stations, your newspaper, and yes, even your favorite blog sites. It's corporate piggishness at its worst, taken to a whole new level of monopoly. In 1980, about 50 separate corporations owned all of American media, TV, radio, magazines, newspapers, book publishing. Today, only five corporations own all of that. So it shouldn't be a surprise that ABC, NBC, CBS, and CNN intentionally make stories like the Downing Street memo disappear as quickly as they appear. I mean, think about it. What if Clinton had planned out a totally bogus reason for a war that killed and crippled 35,000 American soldiers in the process. Because you can bet that if Clinton's name had in any way been associated with a Downing Street memo, NBC, CBS, and ABC would have been printing out wanted posters and plastering those posters up in the post office. In the eyes of the media, the difference between Clinton and Bush is that Clinton couldn't help his greed whore that's now known as conglomerate media. Remember, only two years into Clinton's term, he ended up with a Republican Congress, so Clinton and Gore weren't capable of delivering enough for corporate robber barons like Jack Welch and Rupert Murdoch. But the shrub and his Congress still could possibly deliver. In fact, you might remember Mike Powell, Colin Powell's son, who ran the FCC, tried to pave the way for an almost solid monopoly for conglomerate media. Powell almost succeeded, and because of that near success, America's new media pig pack is trying to move closer to the trough in the short time they have left to dance with the Republicans. That's why there was never any serious follow-up on a story about Jeff Gannon, the male prostitute who Karl Rove planted in the Washington press corps. Rove expected Gannon to speak slowly and use words that Bush could understand at press conferences in hopes of making Bush look less ADD-afflicted. Well, that ruse was a miserable failure because Gannon wasn't a reporter. He was a male prostitute who serviced other men. And even the Washington press corps had enough sense to see through it, but still the story died as quickly as it developed, and we never heard Bush say anything intelligent in spite of the Jeff Gannon plant, nor did we find out who Jeff Gannon was entertaining in the dark hallways of Washington. And we shouldn't forget all the other countless stories that got so little airtime that most of us barely even understood the details, like $9 billion that to this day is still missing in Iraq, money that was supposed to rebuild Iraq immediately after the invasion, $9 billion stolen under the shrubs watch and the media barely yawns about it. Or how about the story about Jim Baker? George Bush's closest political ally who's representing the Saudis in a lawsuit that was brought by families of 3,000 Americans killed on 9-11. That sounds like a pretty important story to me, but not conglomerate media because it doesn't pay for conglomerate media to cover a story like that. There's nothing mysterious about why stories like these get so little airtime and so little exposure. The truth is that news journalism is dead. Not because journalists have forgotten how to cover a big story, but because Major media outlets have killed real news reporting for the time being in hopes of that last big chance, that one last chance to create an even bigger cash cow media monopoly during these last days of this political dark age that has smothered and marginalized democracy for six long years. These precious few days that are left when Republicans can do what Republicans seem to do best, and that is sell damn near everything to the highest corporate bidder. And today, That high bid comes from corporate conglomerate media.
1: The Pap Attack on Air America Radio Network. Go to RingOfFireRadio.com or AirAmericaRadio.com for more info.
0: If you were Ann Coulter's attorney at a sanity hearing, where could you possibly start? Our number two story on the countdown, eclipsing even Bill O'Reilly and Malmody, the Connecticut screech has continued her assault on 9-11 widows after calling them witches who acted as if the terrorist attacks happened only to them. She now told Reuters News that they are, quote, professional victims, all as part of the promotion of a book in which she claims liberals are, quote, godless. This part
5: is, is the part I really need to talk to you about. These broads are millionaires, lionized on TV and in articles about them, reveling in their status as celebrities and stalked by grieferazis. I've never seen people enjoying their husband's death so much. Yes. Because they dare to speak out?
8: To speak out using the fact that they're widows. This is the left's doctrine of infallibility. If they have a point to make about the 9-11 Commission, about how to fight the war on terrorism, how about sending in somebody we're allowed to respond to? No, no, no. We always have to respond to someone who just had a family member die. But aren't they the because then in if the we respond, oh, you're questioning their authenticity. No, so the grieve, story but is... Quietly. No, the story is an attack on the nation. And by the that way... That requires a foreign policy response. That does way, not entail the expertise... They also criticize the, the Clinton administration for their... Does- failures oh, up to not, not the ones I'm talking about. No, they oh, No, no, no. no, oh, no, 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 no. But no, is no. your message to them just grieving? No, no, no. no. They grieving. were cutting commercials for Kerry. They were using their grief in order to make a political so point while preventing anyone from if responding. If you lose
5: a husband, you no longer have the, the right to have a political point of view?
8: No, but don't use the fact that you lost a husband as the basis for your being able to talk about it while preventing people from responding. Let Matt Lauer make the point. Let Bill Clinton make the point. Don't put up someone, I'm not allowed to respond to without questioning the authenticity well, of their apparently you are allowed and to it, respond to them. Well, yeah, I did.
0: Let's return to this planet. To recap Coulter's argument, the wives of those who died in the worst attack in this nation's history enjoyed their husbands' deaths and profited off them. They have politicized 9-11. Their positions as wind- widows immunized them from any criticism or debate over their opinions. All of this stated by a commentator, much of whose income in the last four and a half years has derived from her speeches and writings about the deaths of those same men on 9-11. All this stated by a commentator who has staunchly, repeatedly, and enthusiastically defended an administration that began to politicize 9-11 within a month of the nightmare and has never paused for a moment since. All of this stated by a commentator who has called those who have criticized her and her party un-American and now godless. All of this stated by a commentator who is bitching that these 9-11 widows can't be criticized while she is writing a book and going on TV and venomously criticizing them
8: if people are going to use a personal tragedy in their lives to inject themselves into a national debate i'm sorry you can't just say oh we're off limits oh now we're going to invoke the fact that our husbands died and you can't criticize us um they were specifically using their husband's death and there were gosh I mean they're enjoying fact, it. i mean presumably they're going home nine when their husband's
7: gone and their yes. kids are there and where's dad and
1: it's
8: jesus it's so yes. depressing and so are the thousands of widows who were not cutting campaign commercials for clinton these women got paid they They ought to take their money and shut up about
0: it. The way Ann Coulter always does when she's criticized. Ms. Coulter's monthly walk on the swaying tightrope of her own emotional stability did not end there. In her book, she also wrote, and by the way, how do we know their husbands weren't planning to divorce these harpies? Now that their shelf life is dwindling, they'd better hurry up and appear in Playboy. Appearing in Playboy and getting divorced, neither of those being scenarios Ann Coulter is ever going to have to deal with in her life. Five of the most politically active of the 9-11 windows, including Kristen Breitweiser and Lori Van Auken, have responded in a written statement. Contrary to Ms. Coulter's statement, there was no joy in watching men we loved burn alive. There was no happiness in telling our children that their fathers were never coming home again. We adored these men and miss them every day. It is in their honor and memory that we will once again refocus the nation's attention to the real issues at hand, our lack of security, leadership, and progress in the five years since 9-11. And lastly, back to my allusion to the nightmare of having to defend Ann Coulter at a sanity hearing that was inappropriate because it was insufficient. Imagine, in fact, defending her on judgment day, trying to find her soul.
1: So 14-year-old teenage girl. Well,
7: I'm glad you mentioned uh, uh, American Idol because it relates to the funniest program I've ever seen, live and direct with Rita Cosby, which I saw last night. Now, they don't have the whole show available on the web, and I'm going to butcher some of this, but all I want to get into, in addition to a number of the funny things that happened on the show, is give you... My brother was going to be on the show, so I T-vote it. Mm-hmm. And then just because I didn't know when he was going we were watching the beginning of the show, my wife and I. Mm-hmm. Right? And I just want to tell you essentially how it began. Hello, this is Rita Cosby from SNBC. You know, it's not actually that far off, but, but I'll, I'll
10: do Rita because
7: it's she easy. like an
9: old haggard smoker? No,
10: she's just, good evening everybody, I'm Rita Cosby. Tonight, it's love, American style. That's exactly how she sounds.
1: Can I tell you something? Yeah. I, I thought I was pretty good. I'm not playing. like I'm, I really thought I was pretty good at it, but y- you win. <laughs> you win. Down? That's great. That's perfect. That Tonight, much like a man? Have you never heard her? It's no. not, oh, you sound, would know if you heard. She
9: doesn't no, sound like a
7: man. She doesn't sound like a person. She sounds like she's got a problem. Yeah. So it's why t- did you put me on TV? I can't even speak. All right, now now for she me to get kidding. the the real essence of this, you got to let me run through this. Can All right, so here we go.
10: Good evening, everybody. I'm Rita Cosby. Tonight it's love American style. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even let myself do it. Tonight it's love American style, American idol style that is. Right in the middle of my interview with second runner-up, Elliot, a special idol guest tonight, surprised us and jumped into the conversation. Okay? And then they go to the videotape. So I'm already laughing, right? They go to the videotape, and you see
7: this, uh, and you hear a voice. uh, You see a guy on TV who turns out is Elliot Yaman. Who's that? He finished third Third. or something. And and you hear this voice go, you don't have to tell me I'm cute, man. And then Elliot says, because he's doing an interview with Rita, and you see Elliot say, well, well,
10: I think you are, man. You are cute. And you know... And then Cosby says, "I can set you guys up on a date if you want to." Laughter, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then they go, "That would be great." And, the, and he, sorry, the guy says, "That would be great." And then there's laughter, and Rita's like, <laughs> "Right?" So our, I, it was uh, as awkward as it can be. And then they come back,
7: and it's back to Rita doing her live intro to the show. That was a piece of tape. Back to Rita, and she goes.
10: And for the first time on television, Angelina Jolie's father, actor John Voigt, is talking about the birth of his granddaughter, Shiloh, and his fascinating new movie. But we begin tonight with major developments in the vicious murder of a Clemson University student murdered with her own bikini. Oh! No! No, that's in the, cha- that's in the transcript. That's it? I saw it! <laughs> Oh uh ka 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 But we begin tonight with major developments in the vicious murder of a Clemson University student murdered with her own bikini. Now, it sounds like the Simpsons. <laughs> I, I thought they if you th- if they're making it, they're spoofing these shows. It's on un- MSNBC. What on God's green earth are you thinking?
1: And what it, I mean in these times where we might go to war with Iran, where we got Iraq and the Haditha massacre and the whole thing's falling apart Clemson University undergrad
7: murdered with her bikini. And of course, she's a pretty blonde girl, you know. Who oh, Rita Cosby? No, no the, the, the Clemson University. Oh, oh I was going to say. I didn't look,
9: realize how in danger I was. And in look, that it, way. it makes.
7: I wouldn't
1: it, fuck Rita Cosby with Ann Coulter's dick.
7: <laughs> and look, it, it it makes us bad people because I we're laughing. This poor girl's murdered. I don't want to laugh. Right. At that is a terrible tragedy for her family. But it gets just a tiny bit worse, because oh. they brought in her friends the day the day of her funeral, and they talked about how great she was. And she was clearly a lovely girl, and I also read an interview with her father in the family. She was fam. actually
9: killed by her own bikini? She was strangled.
7: Somebody killed her, and apparently strangled her. I don't know. It doesn't the matter. The funny thing is, is now Jill's interested in the story. She's like, hey, can I... You, gotta, you, you Did you save that T-Bone <laughs> version of the show? I still have it, by the way, yeah. So anyway, so they, so they bring the three friends out. And one of the friends, it's the day of her funeral, can't stop laughing during the interview. At like, so when was the last time you saw her? Well, I saw her at the restaurant. We always go to... <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, Jesus, oh, Jesus, Jesus, please stop. So anyway, that's yeah, agony. Rita but Rita you couldn't stop laughing? No, the friend. And the friend was nervous, and I'm sure she cried afterwards. And they clearly love this girl. And I feel bad for them. But it makes everybody a bad person. Because then finally, they have the friend on, and she reads... I'm gonna. I want to do it after the break. Okay. Because she reads. A, she reads a poem. Oh,
9: no. oh <laughs> no! And I don't look. And I want to
7: just be very. I'm not. I don't. I don't. I'm not laughing at the girl who got murdered or family. No, of course I know. not. Of course not. I know. I
1: please. And the funny thing is
9: good how Rita thought it was very moving. But that's happened to me at funerals. I don't know why. Maybe it's just the nervousness. But I've gone to funerals where somebody gets up to read. Where somebody's been I, strangled with every bikini. No, but and somebody anything. gets up to read like a tender poem or sing a song and. I just <laughs> I lose it.
1: Because you can't. Don't read a poem at a funeral. I love you, you grieve your own your way, but don't read a poem no, no, look. don't strum a guitar.
7: Look don't dude. sing a song. No, if you just wanna cry. If, if you want to read the poem at the funeral, read it at the funeral. Please don't then go on and read it right. on MSNBC with oh, Rita Coe. Please saying, don't so it do that. It that
9: makes it that much more complex, And the poor friend. Mean, people like us are detached from this girl are going to find it humorous.
7: And the poor friend, I mean, she's laughing and she's laughing at inappropriate times. And I know as soon as it's off, she's, it's a defense mechanism. As right, soon as the camera's off, trying. that friend's going to start crying. Right, of course. You know, and, and
10: oh god, it was brutal. It was brutal. What was kills brutal.
1: me is that Rita Cosby looks uh, uh, uses this for ratings purposes and for entertainment yeah. purposes and then pretends to care about it. That's kinda what drives me crazy about it. It's an outrage. It is. We'll have the poem when we come back on the young Jerks.
4: Tom, Greenpeace, the militant environmental organization, put out a press release condemning nuclear power recently, but maybe they released it a bit prematurely because it read, and I quote from the press release, in the 20 years since the Chernobyl tragedy, the world's worst nuclear accident, there have been nearly what? Complete the quote. There have been nearly... um, this This was a mistake they made? Let me, uh, let me help you get it. It's hard to guess, but if you were Greenpeace putting out a press release, what sort of thing would you say that? There have been at least... Um, I... <laughs> this is what it says. In the 20 years since the Chernobyl tragedy, the world's worst nuclear accident, there have been nearly fill-in alarmist and Armageddonist factoid here. Unquote.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
9: Someone at Greenpeace just went on early summer vacation. Now,
8: well, Someone's spending more time with their family.
4: <laughs> President Bush came to Pennsylvania this week to advocate for nuclear power, and, and Greenpeace was ready with, it turns out, a kind of tree-hugging version of Mad Libs.
9: That is so much better, that quote, than anything we could have thought
4: up. That's what I wanted. The embarrassed spokesman who put out the release said that the fill-in language was, you know, a staffer's joke, and it was released mistakenly. He said, quote, Given the seriousness of the issue at hand, I don't even think it's funny. To which we say, fill in derisive disagreement here. LAUGHTER
8: To believe, but today marks exactly one year since the disappearance of Alabama teen Natalie Holloway. The high school senior vanished without a trace during her trip to the island of Aruba last May.
7: Back on the Young Turks, Ben and Jenk and uh, Jill with you, and uh, we're almost done with the.
9: That was Rita Cosby. She has that. Um, I, for those of you that don't live in Los Angeles, um, but Jillian Barbary. She's a local. Mm-hmm. news person weather girl here. She's on it. the
7: Fox, uh, the, the NFL pregame show on Fox, too.
9: But she's got that raspy, whiskey-drinking, party-girl-smoking-till-four-in-the-morning voice. Yeah, like, Rita Cosby sounds like...
7: Rita Cosby sounds, to me, w- much lower than She's Billy a whiskey
9: Marvel. slut. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a,
10: it's puzzling.
7: But oh, anyway, my so, God. Who so,
9: hires somebody with a voice like I that? I don't
7: understand because I don't – I don't. I, God bless her. I, I don't know what she brings to anything. I, she's not that attractive. She's not uh, – Sexiness
4: she, with her voice.
7: She doesn't ask good questions. She covers insane stuff. I don't understand. But I don't understand television. and I'm an idiot. And look, it's not – No, like no, no,
1: no. You know why they hired her. I mean, let, let's fill the people in. For those of you who don't know, uh, she was on Fox News Channel. She
7: was on Fox News, but she doesn't do She doesn't even do right-wing politics. She doesn't do anything. She does this. She
1: does the politics of distraction. She does the Natalie Holloway stories. That's her forte. And MSNBC, classic MSNBC move, they're like, I don't know. Let's hire somebody, anybody from Fox. Uh, uh, And they're like, well, we can't get O'Reilly. We can't get Hannity. We can't get any of the – how about that Rita Cosby girl? And then I'm sure they had a meeting. They're like, does she she look and sound and – uh, terrible to you yeah 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 i don't know she's
7: on fox let's hire her anyway like that may that's be. definitely oh, how but it then went then i down. don't understand why then i don't understand why fox hired like i mean you want to do politics of distra- the the distraction there are a lot of people who can do that. That's all I'm saying. I, I, but I hear you. That part is also true. How she got to MSNBC, the fact that she'd been on Fox. But Fox,
1: to, she didn't have her own show on Fox. She was just a reporter that ran around on all those stories. On,
7: no, she was like on, there was like Rita Crosby and Friends. I thought she had her, I thought she had a friend.
1: Not a primetime show. Maybe she had like some rinky-dinky show. I, don't, I have no idea. I, you may be right. I have no idea.
7: So anyway, then they, they, they ask her friend, Erica Cooler, and I want to apologize ahead, Tom, do a janky, right? I'm about this, We're bad guys. Because mm-hmm. her friend's reading a poem. They lost their friend. And I feel bad for them. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to see it on TV, and it's ridiculous. Here's the poem called oh, More gonna Than be a Person An Inspiration. And I'm not going to make fun of the girl reading the
9: I was going to say you should read it in her voice. No, nah. I'm not going
7: to. Nah. She, she was more than a person an inspiration. Her life was full of determination, a beauty within that shined through her eyes for all to see without compromise. The all American girl who knew, to, who knew how to have fun never gave up until the job was done. The first to give you a hug, but the last to let go, strong in her faith and didn't do it for show. A friend you could go to for the best advice, she's everything you needed, especially nice. She cared about others more than herself, as guaranteed Tiffany was like no one else. She touched people's lives and provided so much hope, no matter the issue, she knew how to cope. She lived every day as if it were her last and didn't regret anything she learned from the past. Her life was full of determination. She was more than a person, an inspiration. She enjoyed a good meal, especially Linguini. How ironic, then, that she was killed with her own.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. All right, let's have it. You know the question. Was it worth the hype or no? Send me your comments, hippiesympathizer at gmail.com. Come back and keep listening next week and bring all your friends with you. Have a good one, everybody.